Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Good morning and welcome to The Truth About Local Government. Today we're going to be discussing um, a really interesting topic of, of how finances, investment, housing all ties together in one really quite uh, fascinating episode. Very lucky today to have um, a guest that I've been trying to get on for some time, Andrew Ireland, who is a, um, well he will introduce himself, but a, a very interesting uh, individual who's worked in uh, the corporate world within banking uh, and now finds himself leading the investment function uh, for a large London borough. So Andrew, without further ado, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm very well, thank you. Amazing. So let's start this out then with a bit of background. What, In terms of the current, um, the financial situation that councils find themselves, if you could give us a bit about the background for the listeners at home, that'd be really useful. Yeah, sure. So I think it's probably worth digging back, uh, you know, a decade or so to get an idea as to you know, how we've got to the position that we're currently in. So I think somewhere around 2011, you know, there has been a kind of consistent and re- reducing uh, funding and budgets from central government onto local authorities. And they've been told, or they were explicitly told, I think, due to the kind of 2011 local Localism Act to be kind of more commercial, more self-financing. Um, you know, a lot of local authorities, you know, thinking about how they could be more commercial, more, you know, kind of you know, pro- progressive in their ability to fund their own service provision. Um, I think the byproduct of that is, you know, somewhere around kind of 2015, 2016, we saw a lot of local authorities borrowing from the PWLB and investing in commercial assets, predominantly for a kind of a revenue generative play. Um, and you know, I think it, that was undertaken, you know, to a very large scale, to the kind of scale that I guess was, you know, on the radar of kind of the HMT SIP for, uh, you know, indicating concerns around, you know, the deployment of uh, council accessed money into the kind of commercial sector. Um, and there was a subsequent kind of change of regulation around that. I guess if we kind of Fast forward a little bit to, to 2020, we see, you know, kind of an unprecedented number of Section 114 notices being issued. I think kind of since 2020, 16 odd local authorities have you know, sought uh, exceptional financial support from the Department of Leveling Up and Housing and Communities um, with potentially another seven local authorities this year issuing section 114 notices which is an indication of kind of you know financial distress concern um and from what i read i think the predictions are that potentially up to 30 percent of local authorities you know could be effectively declaring themselves bankrupt kind of in the next year which you know is a worrying backdrop i think for, i mean, uh, the I mean 
I completely agree. I mean, it's the I think it's the the, the normalisation of that kind of financial distress, which is just so concerning. I was at an event yesterday with Localis, and we were talking about this, about the current situation, whether the local government finance has run out of gas. And it's it's really I mean, it's it's fascinating because the funding that they receive from central government does not match the role they do. It almost feels in a way, and there was differing views on this, but essentially yesterday was kind of there's two aspects to local government. You've got the place shaping function um, of investments and obviously levelling up comes into that. And then you've got the care aspect. And essentially, it's the care aspect that is absolutely crippling councils. I mean, people were saying yesterday that who were in charge of children's functions that send, for example, will bankrupt councils just because of the the costs associated and the intervention that early stages required. So it, it is unprecedented. And I think, you know, a bit of context, everyone back at home, Northamptonshire County Council, when they went bankrupt or Section 114 notice, and that kind of triggered a unitary formation in Northamptonshire, that was absolutely, I mean, it was it was taboo. It was very, it was it was it was a scandal. And unfortunately now it almost feels like, you know, uh it's becoming part of the course. Uh that, you know, in, unless there is serious intervention and serious change, that we're gonna just see the erosion of the majority of councils going bankrupt. And um so what are the causes then, Andrew? Like what what are the causes for this financial pressure, would you say? I think it's systemic. So I think part of it. Is, is a legacy issue, you know, as we touched on there. So the kind of reduction in central government government financing into local authorities, the acceleration of their commercial activity, which you, know, you have to question both proportionality and dependency on that you know, element of commercial income coming into their uh, INE accounts and how much of it they need to be able to deliver services. I think there's a there's a desire that local authorities continue to provide, you know, a level of service provision, maybe of an enhanced level of service provision, kind of post pandemic. And you know, from everything I read, I think that the issues are ubiquitous across the board, and they're fundamentally, as you touched on, you know, the provision of children's social care, the provision of temporary accommodation. The impacts of inflation costs, both on supply chain costs and on wages, um, and that's a whole situation that I think is only going to be compounded by, you know, the kind of increased cost of borrowing. We've seen you know, interest rates go up. I was going to say an unprecedented amount, but they've gone from an artificially low level probably to something more normalised. Um, but that's the key lever that you know government has to try to quell the inflation spike that we've seen. Uh, coming out of the back of the pandemic. So, you know, that's going to materially hit the cost of borrowing, which, you know, will, as I say, kind of have an, have an accelerant effect on council's budgets. And just to give a bit of personal context to your background, because you do, you are quite unique, Andrew, in so much as if you were to look at the majority of uh, local government employees who are leading on strategic investments, uh, can you give us a bit of background to yourself? Yeah, sure. So, I think as a cohort, we're quite small in number. Um, so the local authority that I work for, I think is unique in that it has a specific strategic investment team that I work in. Um, my background, I initially started in investment banking, went into corporate banking, I'm a qualified accountant and corporate treasurer by trade. Um, did a stint in kind of corporate restructuring, kind of post 2007 2008 kind of credit crisis then did some private equity venture capital work and then went to a hedge fund before coming to the authority i work in so it 
given me, I, as you say, I think a unique perspective from a number of reasons. One, kind of a professional qualification is always a good bedrock to have, you know, to be able to interrogate and digest financial information. Um, it is very useful as a foil, I think, from a public sector outward focusing kind of viewpoint. Um, there are, or I have experienced personally, that there are a lot of, you know, less attractive proposals coming into the council and a lot of what I do or I have to for the local authority is to filter the wheat from the chaff and you know identify I think those opportunities that are genuinely attractive have kind of long-term validity to them um, versus those that are much more transactional and probably more kind of incentive driven for a third party. Um, but I think also what I've probably noticed is that is it's allowed us to in-house a lot of the capability that potentially other local authorities outsource to professional third parties. And that I think it's incredibly important to have that within your corporate DNA that, you know, you have the ability to, you know, kick the tires and decide you know, whether an opportunity you know, is, is fundamentally attractive to you, but also know to to, to contribute to a kind of a robust investment strategy that can give you a golden thread for the kind of decisions that you need to make for the long term i completely agree because you know yesterday when i was talking to um, one of the senior members at sipfa um we were having this debate around uh, the appropriateness of councils investing uh, and you know their ability to because of the skill set and if we're being completely candid here there are very few people in the country that have your skill set experience and able to as you said their buffer provide that intelligent client perspective um in terms of your position as well so you from our, from our conversation off air you've uh, you you live in the the london borough that you work for don't you i used to used to i apologize you used to and that's given you a certain awareness and appreciation of the challenges that are being faced no, absolutely. So, you know, I think if I look back over my career, it's been a little bit Brownian, but there's been a obvious trend from you know, capitalism to more social value orientated, impactful investment. Um, and that personally has been, you know, incredibly rewarding. I think that it's the tangible benefit for me is, as you say, kind of having lived in the borough, you know, I think hand the uh, dichotomy of you know affluence um and how kind of a proactive intervention you know into that kind of ecosystem by a local authority can have significant social benefit i think to the residents of the borough but also you know i guess sitting from the position i currently sit in how it also financially shores up the council's you know balance sheet and you know budget going forward in terms of what drew you to the sector, because I do think that's a really fascinating piece just to briefly talk about, what was it that drew you to work for, for Newham? Um, so I've done a number of roles whilst I've been at Newham. Um, so under the last administration, I, I started and got actively involved in what was quite a strong commercialisation drive. So we externalised a dozen or so internal services into LATCOs, so local authority trading companies, and had a, I guess, a kind of quasi-conglomerate of these wholly owned subsidiaries doing a number of different things from 
you know, pest control to public realm through interpretation services. Um, and that was really interesting. You know, I've worked with SMEs before from you know, both the growth equity side, but also from a restructuring side. And it was it was really interesting to set them up you know, from a clean slate um, and then to manage them as a portfolio. Um, and retrospectively, looking at some of the assumptions that we had made around you know, their kind of strategic path and how they would operate and grow, I think some of that could have been refined, I think, with hindsight. Um, and a lot of that is to do with the very close linkage between the subsidiary and the council and the fact that it you know, doesn't fundamentally have full autonomy you know, over what it wants to do. Um, I think we lost you there for a second, Andrew. Just, a lot uh, of the local... Sorry, we just cut out for a second there. Do apologise uh, the, on the Wi-Fi. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, in, in terms of obviously the Public Work Loans Board um, and the restrictions that we've seen, obviously the UK Infrastructure Bank is, is, is you know, they're coming on in a couple of weeks to discuss their position. But how hard has that been for local government authorities with the restriction and the utilisation of that institutional capital? So, as we touched on at the beginning, I think the PWLB is the panacea of, you know, local authority borrowing. So it it's the kind of the original place that all local authorities will go to to borrow fixed rate debt. I think that, you know, the dependency or the utilisation of what was relatively cheap capital and its deployment into the, you know, corporate real estate world has brought some additional external kind of scrutiny and attention. Uh, um, and as I as I mentioned before, kind of the byproduct of that was, you know, some guidance from SIPFA around council's abilities to to borrow for kind of purely yield based investments. So it's a bit of a juxtaposition. So whilst councils are being told to be commercial and self-financing at the same time, the kind of core source of capital for them is you know, almost unavailable or heavily regard to their ability to kind of use it for that reason. So you know, I think that the evolution of that was certainly for me and the local authority that I work in was to look at you know other potential sources of you know capital to utilize for you know other investments that we were interested in kind of progressing and that led to a number of conversations with the kind of large bulk annuity funds in the market the likes of legal and general m&g rothsay um, and one of the reasons that i think there's a very natural marriage between what a council wants to do and what a bulk annuity fund wants to do is because both take a a very low risk long-term view um, you have kind of as context you know an aging demographic you know more and more people on defined benefit pensions so you know a pension fund knows what it's kind of long-term life look like and what they really really want is a very low risk long-term asset so long-term cash flow to marry match against that kind of long-term liability so well, for actually, them, sorry. So 
I was just going to say, so then, you know, the lowest risk kind of counterparty that, you know, they can engage with is the government, you know, it's all, I guess, quasi-governmental, almost risk-free. Um, and the local authority has the ability to provide them with that, with a kind of small credit spread dependent on the local authority they're dealing with. Um, so they they like the covenant, it's very valuable to them. The council as a special purchaser can take a very long-term view, unlike a private sector kind of investor. And I also think that, you know, if you're investing in your borough, there's clearly an inherent kind of regeneration, social value element to that as well. Um, we invested in a number of operating assets that were, you know, they were promoting regeneration, commerce, tourism, local employment. Part of what I did kind of pre-pandemic was also accelerate kind of the ACM cladding issues that we, we were seeing on a couple of those commercial buildings as well. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say there is that I think there's a very synergistic marriage between the investment objectives that a council is trying to achieve and the long-term investment objectives that you know a kind of bulk annuity fund is trying to achieve so i think that it's very important yeah. sorry go on Matt. sorry i was going to say i think it's, i absolutely agree with you and i think that's really fascinating that there is that natural kind of alliance and marriage between the two um that maybe sometimes in the public wouldn't have thought that would have been the case um and that and that kind of provides that funding for really important work that that you do i guess really i'd like to look to the future because i, I must say i mean i speak to a lot of people but i think you've got some really quite bespoke and um some really great ideas around uh, the way in which to approach approach some of the challenges that local authorities are facing so you're very very kind of you to say that um so i think that you know i've been with new york council now for for six years and i think a lot of the challenges that we face are systemic you know they are ubiquitous across the piece all of the kind of counterparties that I speak to and other local authorities are experiencing you know to a greater or lesser degree exactly the same problems and issues um, I think because of that whilst if you have a problem and you ask 100 people to come up with 100 different solutions to tackle it you know you probably come up with a number of very successful you know strategies to tackle that problem it is just there's it that approach i think lacks standardization and is inherently inefficient so my feeling is to flip that the other way around and if you think about you know all of these problems as a kind of single cohort you know the centralization of a of a team to tackle those problems with a tried and tested approach to me feels like you know the, the most efficient scalable kind of you know resolution to that issue and you know some of the issues i guess i'm talking about are you know the problems that we experience and newham you know unfortunately is t top of the leaderboard with regard to you know the amount of temporary you know, people in temporary accommodation and level of homelessness in the country. And therefore, that's, I guess, kind of front and centre of my thinking at the moment. But I think that that kind of approach can be, you know, applied to a number of very similar kind of issues that all councils kind of across the country are experiencing. 
I think it'd be, it would be amazing if we could have, and again, it might be an oversimplification of what you just discussed there, but center of excellences. So you have like the brightest and the most passionate people for very specific problems that council face. And councils put in a little bit of cash in comparison to what they're spending at the moment, and you create a, a solution. And that's kind of is kind of is it central? Is it local? It's kind of somewhere in between the two. But having you're absolutely right, the inefficiency of everybody trying to create a solution to the same problem is just it's just bizarre. And actually, if you had people like yourself who are let's be honest here, the, you, you are rare beyond words in terms of the skill set and, and working within local government and local government able to uh, attract retain that talent. Why not put it into where not only can you influence what Newham's doing, but also what you can influence what's doing across all the councils, across all the demographics of the UK? Yeah, I, I, th I think you're right. I think you touched on a number of things there. So it, it's difficult to attract and retain talent in all of these different local authorities. So I think there's a, you know, it, it's, it's not an equal playing field. So all local authorities don't have the same inherent capability. Um, so I think that's one. I also think that, you know, if you could centralise that capability and permeate it across all local authorities, it then gives them the ability to tackle the problem, you know, in the most effective way. I don't think there's any need you know, for every single local authority to reinvent the wheel each time. And, you know, it's for the six years that you know I've been at the council. We've done a number of things wrong and learned from those, you know, and folded that learning into the strategy that we now have. And there's no need for other local authorities, you know, to go through that pain and to, you know, to, to, I guess, to experience those failures rather than, you know, read the blueprint and understand what good looks like and kind of leverage from there. No, definitely. It's an efficient way to optimise the talent resource we have in the UK. And it's um, it's definitely, look, I think we've explored there some really interesting aspects of commercialisation. I just want to thank you for your time, Andrew. You've been a fantastic guest, very articulate, very passionate. And I think there's some really interesting pieces that there that, um, you know, I think there is some some new solutions to the ever-growing list of problems that local government has to to overcome. So thank you for your time and thank you for your um, your insights. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to The Truth About Local Government. Today, we've been fortunate enough to have Andrew Ireland on, Strategic Director of Investment at the London Borough of Newham. If you've enjoyed the podcast, give it a like, give it a share, give it a five-star review. And please tune back in for some more interesting episodes later on in the week. You have been listening to The Truth About Local Government podcast. Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truthaboutlocalgovernment at gmail.com. Truth About Local Government. Local government is at the heart of what we do.